Good morning, everyone. I'm Joe Collins. Welcome to See Me Church. And uh, I got to confess that this is a little uncomfortable for me because we're not doing Jesus worth following. And uh, I'm so used to doing that that I was preparing this message and it was just hard to get into a different uh, headspace. But by the grace of God, I do believe we got there. And uh, so hopefully today will be uh, a moment of encouragement for you. I want you to know that at Simi Church, our mission is to love, to love God and to love others. But I have a mission as a minister. My mission is to help you fulfill that mission. So that's my goal today. I don't want anything from you this morning. As a matter of fact, the exact opposite is true. I want something for you this morning. I want to help you take a step down the road of fulfilling the mission of Jesus in your life, mission love. Amen? Amen. I also want to say that that doesn't mean I'm the expert and I have all the answers. I'm as, I'm in this with you. It's my mission to love and to live, uh, to, to love other, to love God and to love others as well. And I need this kind of help myself. So everything I share today is really coming from a heart of humility. It's, it's my time in God's word and what, what I really believe God spoke to me that I can share with you. And hopefully it'll serve to help you in your walk with Him as you go forward. Amen. So uh, one of the things I did for two years and nine months in the Jesus Worth Following series is I always opened up with a joke. And that was awesome. But I got to tell you, I don't have that many jokes. And so I, I was getting to the bottom of the barrel as we got. Some of you remember some of those jokes. I was down at the bottom. So I don't have a joke for you today, but I do have just a story from my life. Nothing fancy. But uh, I was at the gym this week. I try to go to the gym three times a week, and I was at the gym, and I was watching a guy doing cleans. Now, for those of you that don't know, cleans is when you, you, know, you start with the weight all the way down on the floor, you come up to here, and then you bring it up to here. That's a clean. They're hard to do. It's a full body workout. They're not easy. I'm terrible at them. I do everything wrong when I do a clean. It's amazing that I'm not hurt yet from doing what I do. But I was watching this guy at the gym, and he was doing them, and he had absolute perfect form. I know what perfect form looks like. My kids have grown up lifting weights. We have a friend that lives not too far from us, and he taught them from the time they were little, Kelly, Hunter, and now my daughter, Sophia, how to properly lift weights. And boy, I wish I had my friend Ron back when I was their age so I could have learned the proper way to lift weights. Because I don't know about you, but back in the 80s in high school playing football, there was no one telling us anything about how to do anything correctly. We were just making it up. And so... Ron has taught my kids, I know what the form looks like. I've seen videos. I cannot replicate that form. But I watched this guy. He wasn't huge. I wouldn't say he was you know, overly muscular. He was in great shape. But he started with a relatively light weight. And I just watched him as the day went on, as I was doing my exercises. And every time he did a set and he just added weight, and he added weight, and he added weight, and he added weight. I mean, at some point, he had a lot of weight on that bar. And his form was so good that he could get that, that uh, bar up to this point, in, you know, it, it, to, the, to the top point of the, of the clean. And it was a, a lot of weight. And I got to say, I was super impressed. And what that taught me is that having good form matters. But what's funny about this is we would probably agree with that statement in every area of our life but one. 
and that is our faith life. For some reason, we can accept the fact that there's a certain form to be a professional in the workforce, or there's a certain form in, in how you interact with people to have good relationships. Right? We can accept this fact, that technique, that form matters, but when it comes to our walk with God, it's as if form goes out the window. And it's especially true when it comes to prayer. There's something almost unorganic, unnatural about thinking of our prayer life as having some sort of order to it, some sort of form or some sort of structure. We want it to be free-flowing and, and just whatever we feel at the time and, and, and whatever's going on in our, in our minds. But I'm here to tell you that there is actually a form, a technique for praying that will actually help your prayers become even more powerful. Silence. It is true. There is a way to pray. That is a, 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 a method, a technique. It's not the only way, but it is a way. And if we generally get the template down, you will be surprised at the effect it will have on your personal prayer life and also your spirituality in general. So today... I want to talk about the importance of good prayer form or good prayer technique. And there's no better place to start than with Jesus and his prayer form. Luke chapter 11. Let's pray before we read. Father, uh, really is a wonderful thing to be here. We are so grateful for who you are. Thank you for being so personal, so loving, so kind, so merciful. Praise you for those qualities. Father, we pray for your will to be done today in our lives as we sit at your feet, the feet of Jesus, and we learn about what it means to pray. And I pray, God, that if there's any hindrance in our lives, any sin, any any distraction that's there, that you would put them aside for now, that you would forgive us and put them aside so that we can focus and allow your spirit to, and your words to really minister to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, studies in general have told us, and you probably know this to be true from your own personal life, that just about everybody in America has prayed at some point in their life. But you know, only about half of the people in America, we're not talking about who they pray to at this point, we're just talking about the concept of prayer, only about half pray on a regular basis. Now, this doesn't mean that half of America is just ungodly heathens and they don't care about God and the other half is super spiritual and awesome. That's not what that means. It just means that while everyone has a desire to pray, not everybody does it regularly. The practice is not universal. But the good news is it can be learned. So wherever you land on the spectrum, whether you're a person that just kind of naturally 
prays. And we all know those people, and we all want to punch them in the face. I'm kidding. But we all know those people. They're super spiritual. We want to be like them. They're awesome. And then there's us, the people that have a hard time, that struggle with consistently praying. The good news is we can learn the behavior. It doesn't mean anything about who you are as a person. But it all begins with the ask. Lord, teach us to pray. There has to be a fundamental level of humility, a fundamental beginning point where we say to God, hey, I, I need to learn how to do this. And even if we are tending on the side of praying, even if praying comes easy, we can still benefit from learning from Jesus how to make our prayers even better. And like I said before, there's no better place to begin than for Jesus, than with Jesus. And fortunately for us, he had a few friends who happened to ask him the question, teach us to pray. And so now we have a template. He put the template down for them and it was recorded. And so now we don't have to ask him directly. We can go to God's word and we can see the answer. So we start with the spirit of, hey, I want to learn, help me. And then we just go to God's word and there is the answer. How great is that? It wasn't unusual for a rabbi, Jesus was a rabbi in his day, to teach their followers how to pray. That was a normal practice. As a matter of fact, we see here that John the Baptist did teach his disciples. That was very, very commonplace. You know, when I go to the gym, I'm not afraid of asking people when I see them doing an exercise that's unfamiliar to me and it looks like it might be helpful to sit down with them or to ask them right then and there, hey, what are you doing? What is that exactly that for? Can you show me how to do that? I'm not above doing that because I want to I get better in my routine. I want to get better in the exercise. So if you don't have a prayer form right now or you have one but it's kind of gotten tired... Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to have the heart that says, hey, teach me. Verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say. So in response to the disciples' request, teach us to pray, Jesus begins to give them a template. And by extension, he's giving it to you and I, which is really cool. We actually have the words of Jesus and an example of a prayer that he's encouraging us to begin with. Now, this template is not intended to be the only template. It's not the, the template to end all templates, but it's a good template for prayer. The thing I want to point out, though, is that it's not wrong to use this template from time to time, or even often, or even repetitively. When I was a young Christian, and I was first learning you know, uh, what it meant to walk with God and have a relationship, I had this chip on my shoulder about repeating the Lord's Prayer. Somehow that was just unholy in my book. I mean, how terrible is it that people would just repeat the same prayer over and over and over? I, I looked at it as false religion. But you know what's weird? And I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming some of you relate to me. As I've gotten older, I find myself repeating the same prayers over and over and over. And I think I've gotten a little wiser and a little less arrogant. And I'm starting to realize that actually repetition is not a bad thing when it comes to prayer. 
And even repeating the Lord's Prayer, which is what we're reading here, even repeating this, if you can get your mind around the idea that it's a template and it's not meant to be the only template, but if from time to time, even saying the Lord's Prayer is not a bad thing and then expanding it from there, using it as a guide is even a better thing. So when it comes to prayer, more is better. Repetition is good. I do this in the gym. I'm going out of town this week, and I was like, man, I got to get my workout in. So I got up super early today, and I went to the gym, and I do the same exercise three times, 10 reps, eight to 10 reps, the same exercise, right? I'm repeating it there, and it seems to be helping. At least I notice it. I feel a little better. I feel a little stronger. That's a good thing for me. Then why wouldn't repetition be good in our prayer life? As a matter of fact, there's a few prayers that I began praying earlier this year, very repetitively. And a number of them have gotten answered, praise God. And a number of them have to do with many of you in the room today. Prayers that you've told me, hey, I need, I need a job, or I'm looking for this, or can, can you help with that? I need help with that. And I've been, I write them down, and I pray for them. And it's awesome, amen, it's awesome when I find out they got answered because then I say to you, oh good, I can stop praying for you now. (laughs) And in a weird way, that's a cool thing to say. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Think about that for a minute. Father. There's a lot going on in that word in this prayer. He calls God his father. And in doing so, he's revealing something about his relationship with God and about our relationship with God the Father. The first thing that it reveals to us is that God is a plurality. There's God the Father, and he has a son who is also God who refers to him as God. So the concept of God, and this is hard for us to get, I'm not asking you to know it inside and out. I don't know it inside and out. We'll never fully comprehend it. Maybe when we see him, we'll understand. But for now, it's enough to know that the concept of God, as I understand it from Scripture, and as Jesus reveals in this one word, is that God is a plurality. There's God the Father, there's God the Son. In other passages of Scripture, we find out there's God the Holy Spirit. And as far as I know, that's it. The Bible doesn't seem to refer to anyone else as God. So there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's a plurality. The fancy word we use is the Trinity. They're separate and distinct, but they're God at the same time. How does that work? I haven't the foggiest idea. I could use 10 different examples. None of them would work perfectly. The best I ever come up with is the example of an egg. You have eggshell, egg white, egg yolk. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's the same kind of idea. They're all egg, but they're all separate somehow. Doesn't do justice, but that's my good one. It's always food related. So we learn that God is a plurality. And that in that plurality, there's relationships between the the persons of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They actually have relationships with one another. And this relationship is very dear. The word father that Jesus uses, Greek is pater. That's the Greek word for it. And it's a term of mature 
affection. It's a word that a adult child, not a little child, an adult child would use to describe their parents who they love. I don't want to offend anybody or burst anybody's bubble, but this concept of praying to God and calling him dad or daddy is technically not actually in the Bible. Because it's not, it's not the idea of a little child praying to their father. It's the idea of a mature adult showing affection for their father or their parent. That's the word Jesus used, father. It's like saying, dear father. Not dear like you would write in a letter, dear sir, but dear like how you feel about him. In English, we would translate it, dearest father, my father. It's the sense of love and affection that comes between a mature child and their parent. Imagine if I was at the gym with my boys. I have three kids, and my two oldest boys, Kelly and Hunter, are 22 and 20, and they're all very strong and good exercisers, whatever you want to call it. And, and imagine if we were at the gym and we were working out, and they kept calling me Daddy. Daddy, come over here and spot me. Daddy, come over here help me do this. Daddy, at some point it would be a little weird, right? I'd be like, hey, you're grown up now. Don't call me that. I think this is the idea here a little bit. God the Father is not looking for us to act like little children around Him. He wants us to be mature in our love and in our affection for Him. So Jesus called Him, Dear Father. The second thing that jumps out at me is that this concept of calling God dear Father is true for you and I. Jesus is giving us this template. He's telling us to pray this. He's telling us to call God dear Father, dearest Father, my Father, our Father. All terms of mature love and affection. When you pray to God, do you pray as if you dearly love Him? Do you communicate a sense of connection and affection and love for Him? That's what Jesus meant when he used the word Father. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. So after addressing God as Father, Jesus then praises the Father. The Greek word is Haggai Theto. And it means to let your name be regarded as holy. It's not a request. He's not saying, uh, I pray that people will praise you. It's actually an act of worship. It's Jesus himself praising his father for who his father is. I'm at the gym, and every now and then you'll see a guy, like I said before, deadlifting or or cleaning a really impressive way, and you kind of, wow, that's impressive. I like the guys that can bench press three plates. I can't get anywhere near three plates. My goal was two plates, I hit it, and I'm good enough there. Three plates is a lot of weight. That is 310, 15, 350. That's a lot of weight. And I'll tell you what, I get impressed by people when I see them doing that weight. Like, wow, that's impressive. A guy this morning who I looked very scrawny and small was putting up two plates plus 235s. And I was like, dang, that's impressive. What impresses you about God? 
I like to have interaction. I like audience participation. I'm asking the question. Feel free to shout it out. What impresses you about God, your Father? Yes? That he forgives our sin. That he forgives our sin, your sin, our sin, your sin, all of our sin. That's impressive. Yes? DNA. DNA. The, the, this, this DNA mystery is amazing when you think about God. Yes? His constant love for us that never wavers. That he even thinks about us. Yes. His creativity. Yes. His patient with us. Oh, we stole hers. You were he was you were patiently waiting and then he took it. Yeah. His omnipresence. He's everywhere all the time. The gifts. He doesn't even when we don't ask, he's got something for us. Yes. The plurality, just the mystery of the Godhead, this God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the how does that even work? That's amazing. Yes. The power to create things like stars. Stars are massively awesome. And then there's a God that created them. How incredible is that? Yes. How he created the human body. How it works, it heals itself. Totally Stephanie to think that, you know. She's, she's always mixing some sort of cure for something. And she's impressed with that. Yes. His ever-ending love for us. There is a lot of things that we could say that impress us about God. Now start telling him. That's the idea. Hallowed be your name. What impresses you about your father in heaven? That's what Jesus is teaching us to do. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, in Jewish tradition, it was very common to, after you address God and praise God, to then pray for God's rule to be, to be made known in the world. And for centuries, and they still do this today, the Jews are praying for the day when God will restore the nation of Israel to prominence in the world. But that's not what Jesus had in mind when he said, your kingdom come. You see, Jesus had a much bigger concept in mind. This idea of the kingdom. It wasn't limited to just a nation, a, a temporal nation on earth. Sometimes as Christians, we think of the church as the kingdom, and that's only partially accurate. We sort of make the same mistakes that the Jews made. We, we think the church is God's kingdom, but actually the church is just part of God's kingdom. It's actually a temporary part on earth of God's kingdom. And the fact of the matter is God's kingdom is a much bigger concept. It expands, it, it goes beyond land and time and, 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 and into eternity. It's a massive concept. So what is God's kingdom? When we pray for God's kingdom to come, what are we praying for? Well, the short answer is this. We're praying for God's rule or his reign to be extended. Wherever God reigns is where his kingdom is. And this leads me to one of the most interesting parts of the Lord's Prayer and of, a, and of His template for prayer. And one of the ones that's so fascinating to me, and that is this. That when you pray, you are actually working with God. You're partnering with God to advance His kingdom. Man. It's not a God show and we stand by and say, great, I want you to think about working in a garden. And you're doing your garden thing, and 
you're working hard and your husband or your wife comes out and goes, good job, honey. Good job. Woohoo. Now there's like a second you're going to go, oh, finally he noticed or she noticed, right? Like that'll happen. But the next thought you're going to have is great. Grab a shovel. This would be helpful if you could get involved. That's kind of what Jesus is telling us in this prayer. God is God doesn't want us just to stand on the side like, good job, God, good job, you're amazing, you're awesome. Okay, great. Now get your gloves on and start helping. Your kingdom come in God's economy, and it is a mystery, and it can't be explained. I don't understand it, but somehow he partners with us. And so what I'm trying to tell you is your prayers actually matter. You know, I've been working out in the gym for a while now, several months at least, maybe a, a couple of years. I don't know how long it's been. Anyways, I've been pretty consistent. And I have noticed the difference, and it feels pretty good. Now, we can make a difference. Our prayers make a difference. I shared earlier about prayers that I've been praying repetitively since the beginning of the year. And it's always nice when I hear that, oh, that prayer got answered. And then I can say to you, I don't have to pray for you anymore. I'm always happy about that. I have another one. I have a friend, a good friend, a guy that I, you know, I've known for years. He was in our church for years. He left our church. We, we lost contact. I found out earlier this year that he moved to see me. So I've been praying for him repetitively. We've reached out, I've connect, I reached out to him, I made contact with him, we talked, and last week he called me up after months of praying this prayer, he called me up and said, hey, can we get breakfast? Nice. Your kingdom come. Man. We got breakfast. We said, hey, let's get breakfast on a regular basis. Great. I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm praying that God moves his heart to come back to the fellowship. Man. And I believe that I'm in the garden and I'm working with God to make that happen. Because that's what Jesus says. Your kingdom come. You got to lend a hand. He wants us to lend a hand in the process. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, up to this point, the template that Jesus laid out was pretty standard. It was probably very similar to John the Baptist's template and to other rabbis. It wasn't all that shocking. But at this point, this, this give us today our daily bread took a little bit of an interesting turn in Jesus' prayer form. It became much more intimate. The word prayer is the word artos. It just means general food. But the word daily is an interesting word. Epousion. Now, it could mean tomorrow. Like, you would pray tonight, God... Pray that I have food tomorrow. That also could mean like tomorrow in a figurative sense, like in the future. God, help me find a wife one day. You follow me? But it also, so in that sense, it's a prayer of expectation. But it's also a word that describes sufficiency or necessity, as in, God, give me what I need to survive today. And I think this is what makes Jesus' prayer unique. His prayer form was a very personal and day-to-day -day relationship with God the Father. Is that how you pray? Are your prayers on that personal level? I'm going to embarrass a friend of mine right now who's in the church. You all know and love him, Jack Shirk. If you ever talk to Jack Shirk for more than five seconds, you find out that he prays like this all the time. Jack is just constantly talking to God and, and having an ongoing conversation with them. He even will admit that people think he's crazy because they see him having the talk and no one's there. 
The kids walk into the room, who are you talking to, Dad? And, oh, God. I want to be like Jack. I want to be a little bit more like that. I want to be that in touch. It's a daily, it's a daily, a moment-by-moment moment connection to God involved in our life on an intimate level. God can be trusted to provide what we need today, tomorrow, and at any point in the future. One cool thing about being in a gym, having a gym membership, as opposed to having a bench at your house that you work out on, is that whenever you decide to go to the gym, there's pretty much any exercise you want to do is available there. And that's one of the things I like about the gym, is I can do just about whatever I want to do. Now, you have to go at certain hours, because certain hours you just can't get on anything because it's so crowded. But fortunately, I work my, I figure out my hours. I like to go really early, and generally it's pretty available. And I can go and do whatever exercise I want to do. Maybe we ought to think about our prayer life like that. When we go to God in prayer, there's, there's, an, there's a machine for anything we need to pray about. There's an activity, there's an exercise that's available to us, and God is there. He's providing it for you, even to the minutest detail. That is an interesting twist on Jesus' prayer form that wasn't normal in other prayer forms, that God was involved at that level. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Because God is our dear Father, we have a responsibility to make him proud. And nothing prevents that more than Sin. Sin does not make God proud. It interferes. It hinders. It obstructs. Sin is basically falling short of God's standard. You say, well, what is God's standard? Well, that's a whole other conversation. And I'd love to have that with you, or the person that invited you today would love to have that with you, and I would encourage you to have that talk. That's an important talk. But I'm not focusing on that today. I'm simply trying to say is that when we pray, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, we're really admitting our failings, our shortcomings. You've all heard the phrase, to err is human. It's a great phrase because it's true. We do err. We do fall short of the standard of God. We are imperfect and we need forgiveness. So I have to confess something right now. I've already sinned. I told you I work out three times a week. The truth is it's probably closer to two. Sorry. I'm telling you that, though, because I don't want you to think, I don't want there to be any interruption between us. I'm trying to do three. I'm actually trying to do four. Occasionally, I, I'll do four, but it's rare. But I'm confessing because I don't want there to be any dishonesty here. I don't want there to be an interruption in our friendship, in your ability to trust me. I want to be congruent. I want to be the same inside as I am outside. That's what confessing sin is about. It's about being congruent to God. Not trying to put a front on, not trying to put up a show, not trying to pretend we're somebody we're not. We're not catfishing God. It doesn't work. <laughs> he knows who we are. But you know, when I confess that, and now I'm congruent, and man, I feel better, right? That doesn't mean then I can just not work out 
at all, does it? Well, no, because I actually want to work out, right? I want to get stronger. I want to get better. And that's the other thing that confession is about. It's about trying to get better. Who doesn't want to get better? I want to be better. I want to be better for God. I want to be better for the church. I want to be better for you. I want to be better for my wife. I want to be better for my kids. I want to be better. And so I confess my sin to God. Not just because I'm trying to be honest, but because I'm trying to be better. Because I can do better. And I think that's what confessing our sin is really all about. It's about it trying to do better. So now you've heard that phrase, that axiom, to err as human. Who here knows the rest of the axiom? Somebody say it out loud. To forgive is divine. To forgive is divine. That's not it. It's actually to judge is divine. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> to forgive is divine. We need forgiveness, and only God can extend forgiveness. The simple truth is we are imperfect, we need forgiveness, and we need, like God, to extend that forgiveness to others. You say, why? Why do other people need my forgiveness? Well, for the same reasons, you need God's forgiveness. To be honest and to do better. When you forgive someone who has sinned against you, you're giving them a chance to be congruent and to get better. And when you withhold that from them, that is just mean. That is wrong, that is cruel, and that is not what God does with you. To put it another way, the measure you use will be used against you. And so when it comes to forgiveness, we want to have a big measure. We want to have a big cup that just keeps overflowing because I need it. You need it. And so we ought to be able to extend that to as many people as possible. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. He closes out the prayer by asking, by asking God and by extension telling us to ask God, the Father, for help. We need help. Temptation is real. It exists. It's not God that tempts us, but temptation is out there. I get up. I like to try to go in the morning as much as I can to work out pretty early. And when I get up at 4 or 4.30, let me tell you, the first temptation is just to go right back to sleep. It's, it's right there. The first thing that happens in my day is the temptation to go right back to sleep. It's probably true whether you're trying to work out or not, right? I mean, that's probably just true for all of us. We wake up and we go, I'm going back to sleep. That's the first thing I'm tempted to do. But when we go throughout our day, we're going to experience temptation. Without God's help, we are going to fail. So the Lord's Prayer at its core, at its most fundamental, His template is a template that asks God for help. You know, admitting that you need help is the beginning of faith. If you'd like to learn more about that, please talk to me afterwards. Talk to the person that invited you. That's the start. That's where our faith begins. We're just people who need help. And we figured out that we should ask God for the help.
The good news is he promises that if you ask, you will receive. So what I did here at the end as I wrap up is I took the Lord's Prayer and I put it into words that I would use. So here's our summary. Ask for help. Repeat after me. Ask Jesus for help. Repeat after me. Dear Father, I'm impressed. I'll lend a hand. I trust you. I can do better. Help me do better. That's the Lord's Prayer. That's the form that Jesus laid for us. You can't go wrong if you just start there and do it every day or as often as you can. Repeat it as often as you want. Oh, okay. Sorry. 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 I'll leave it up for a minute. I hope as I close out today that I accomplished my mission, that I gave something to you to help you in your journey. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close out with a word of prayer, and you'll be dismissed. Father, it's so great to come before you, and man, you really are our dear Father. That alone right there, God, won my heart to this prayer, just realizing that it's okay to express my feelings towards you and how I feel about you. And I got to say, I, I truly do love you. I truly am grateful for you. I'm truly moved by your love for me and your kindness that you extend me. And I, if nothing else, I want you to hear that today. God, I pray that as we end our service, that we leave here today, that we walked out of here renewed, refreshed in our walk with you, that, we're rec that we commit ourselves anew to praying and to having good form when we pray and allowing you to develop what you want to develop in our lives, helping us to do better. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this great fellowship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.